My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Uh, they, they, I, got a new, uh, I got a new stand, and it weighs like 100 pounds. So I just tried to, hold on, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I just, I'm not, I got to start working out if I'm going to bring this podium up on the stage. Okay. Hey, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. If you could go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. Today we are finishing a series, and the series that we are finishing is uh, money questions, dollar sign, question mark. And what we, have, what we try to do is we've tried to take a look at some questions that have to do with our, uh, sort of how we relate to money, our relationship with money, how that relates to our relationship with Jesus. And we've sort of helped kind of pick apart and maybe have a different perspective the first question was, uh, how much money does it take for me to be content? And if you miss that, please go back online and, and check that, because we talked about how that question, actually, those two things don't, don't connect, that there's, there's not a correlation between an amount and contentment, but contentment really comes from intimacy with, with Jesus. And so last week, what we took a look at is how much money is God's money? And we talked about how everything, that all of the energy sources in the universe and all the real estate in the universe and all the livestock and, you know, animals. And I don't know how much a panda costs if you want to bring one to your city, but God owns all those. And, and like everything is God's. And, and so to look at God's portfolio and then to see how generous God is to us was just such a good way to kind of help us understand and get some clear, clear perspective on our finances and, and the call then to be good managers of what it is that God has given us. Well, today, if you take a look at that top question, the, the title, you can see that the question we're gonna try to unpack a little bit is, if I give money, will I get rich? And there is an answer for it, and, and we're gonna get to the answer in just a moment, but before I jump into the, the question, you have to recognize that there are some side effects of being rich. There are some side effects that, that I want you all to be rich. I want all of us to be, I pray God's financial blessing over everybody at Overlake. But you need to know that I also pray that when God does make us rich, that he makes us good at it. Because there are a lot of people who are rich that are bad at being rich, and I want us to be good at it. So I pray God's blessing over it. But you need to know that there are some side effects to being rich. Side effect number one is called hope migration. Hope migration. We talked about this a little bit last week, that, that if we have more money, it, it, it tends to, in money we trust, kind of a migration. And, and, and instead of trusting in God, it just migrates over, and then we begin to trust in our finance. And, and instead of hoping in the Lord, we end up hoping in money. And, and so we ended last week with the, the question, why would I trust in riches? when I can trust the one who richly provides. Right? Why would I trust in something static when, when I can trust in the most dynamic, loving, uh, generous, creative God ever, you know, the one who's in relationship with me? Why would we do that? Why would anyone do that? But, but that's what we see. A side effect of being wealthy is called hope migration. Side effect number two is denial. Just flat out denial. And you need to know this. Rich people live in denial. Denial of many things, right? The Marie Antoinette thing, let them eat cake kind of a thing, but, but also denial. Rich people don't even like to admit that they're rich. They live in denial over that simple fact. 
And I just want to say to you, you know, if you happen to be short, short people, they know they're short. And, and they, they'll, they'll talk about being short, and God bless them for that. And, and tall people, right, they know they're tall, and they'll, they'll talk about being tall. They'll admit that they're tall. They'll talk about how the world looks from way up there. And, you, you know, art, artistic people, they, they'll, they'll talk about being artistic, and they'll talk about how they, they just kind of float through life, and they can't find their keys or their phone. They live out of their car, but they're happy as can be kind of a deal. And they, they'll just admit that they're artsy. And and the introverts, they'll admit that they're introverts really quietly. They'll tell you that they're introverts. Extroverts, they'll just tell you that they're extroverts. They'll just come out. You didn't need them to tell you, but they'll tell you because they just, that's what they do, extroverts. Now, here's the, the interesting thing. Rich people are not like that at all. They live in denial. They, 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 they won't admit even to themselves that they're rich. And, and so you have to sort of look at some implications, like, well, what are the indications that they're rich? And, and one of the indications that a person might be rich is what they tend to complain about. And so I just want to tell you that you might want to just jot this down. There's a whole list of things that fall under the category of rich people problems. Can you say that with me? Rich people problems. Okay. Now, l let me just tell you, these are things that, that, that rich people complain about that the whole, like most of the world would listen to these complaints and say, if only I had that complaint. I would love to be able to complain about what you're complaining about because I'm not even in the realm of having what you have to complain about what you're complaining about. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. Bad cell phone coverage. <laughs> Slow internet speeds. Okay, um, maybe it's the $8 hot dog at the, at the ball game. Uh, Maybe you're, you're complaining about the, the satellite repair guy, the TV repair guy who said that he was going to be at your house between noon and midnight and you have to wait all day long. And you see these things that we complain about. Anytime your complaint starts with my landscaper or my housekeeper or my benefits package or my vacation time, like these things, they, they're just rich people problems. And, and so much of the world would listen to those complaints and say, oh, if only I didn't have to work every day for the food I consumed that day, right? If, if only somebody would pay me for like a week of time that I didn't show up for work and let me go do something else, right? Like, like, are you tracking with me? Like there's this, there's this perspective that we have. It's filled with entitlement. And, and, but, but you see, it all goes back to the side effect of being rich, which is denial, that we don't want to admit that we're rich, and, and so there's this denial happening. The hope migration, that's the first one, denial's the second one. The third side effect of being rich is it's dwindling generosity. And this is really a heartbreak. I mean, this, this is tough because it is a proven reality. Statistically, you can do the research on your own, but it's a proven reality that as a person's income goes higher and higher, the percentage of their giving goes lower and lower. Say that again. As a person's income increases, the percentage of their generosity decreases. And it doesn't mean that they're not given money. It doesn't mean that they're not given maybe even more money than they used to give before the increase. It's the percentage that I'm talking about. The percentage decreases. 
And, and these are the side effects of being wealthy and, and to be rich. And I'm so thankful that Overlake, that's not us. We're not rich. That's not a part of who we are. You know, we took a look at that passage last week, command those who are rich. And we were like, thank God that's not us. And we just passed the whole thing. But then I found this. It's called the Global Rich List. You can look this up on your own, globalrichlist.com. And you type in your income and it'll tell you how rich you are in the world. And it turns out that if you make between forty dollars and $50,000 a year as your income, that you are in the top 1% of the world's wage earners. Top 1%. Now, it's amazing the response that I just heard. Right? Wow. Nobody was like, hallelujah, I'm rich. Honey, did you hear that? We're rich. And we've been rich for years. Nobody did that. How come, right? Because we don't feel rich. Because we don't, we don't feel rich. We feel pressure. And we don't compare ourselves to the right people. We only compare ourselves to people with more than us. We never compare ourselves to people with less than us. And, we, and, and because one of the side effects of being rich is that we're in denial about being rich. And so all these things are true. And so I just want you to know that, that this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, his protege, the one he's mentoring for ministry, he's telling the, Timothy, listen, this is what you have to command those who are rich, right? You have to command those who are rich. And friends, I just have to say, that's us. Like when we read this passage, we, we cannot shift it to somebody else. We cannot say, oh, Mr. Richie Rich has to listen to this, but not me. That, that God, as he looks at the planet and he sees all the billions of, of, of people he created, he loves, he has a plan for, he looks at us here in King County, us at Overlake, and he knows, oh, you know what? So many of you, you are right at the very top. And it, 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 when you look at the world, this, it's at the very top. And so this passage is a passage we have to wrestle with. It's on your notes. It's in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul writes to Timothy, command those who are rich. That's us. In this present world, not to be arrogant. We cannot be proud. Just because we have more doesn't mean we are more. Right? So there's, so there's no arrogance here. D don't be proud. Nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. He's saying, don't put your hope in what is uncertain, wealth that can come and go like this, the economy fluctuates, bottom falls out, it's so uncertain, but God is certain. Put your hope there. And not only that, he said, but God provides us with everything, everything we've ever had, everything we ever will have. It's all from the hand of God. He provides it to us for our enjoyment. We talked last week about how generous God is over our lives, okay? Then he says, command them, again, us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, what's Paul going after here? So, so command them to do good. Do you realize that everybody's commanded to do good? So, so Paul's not saying, just command the rich people to do what everyone's commanded to do. What, what Paul's trying to go after, what this passage is going after, is those with wealth in this world, they are, everyone's commanded to do good. Those with wealth are commanded to do gooder. There's actually an increase of provision for them, so there needs to be an increase of, of good deeds coming out. And, and, and everyone's commanded to be generous. 
But what Paul's going after is those who have been given much are commanded to be generous much. That there's an increase in generosity. And, and, and he looks and he sees the trend right now in the world, the trend in America, which is as in, income increases, percentages decrease of generosity. And I just want to ask you, from God's perspective, do you think that's how he expects us to act? As he gives us more, he wants us to be giving less? Let me ask it another way. Do you think that God is just completely stoked if we give small percentages out of our surplus? Or do you think he wants us to give sacrificially out of what he has provided in the first place? See, and again, to go to the answer to these questions, I'm just gonna go to Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. And so I wanna be with him, okay? I wanna listen to him. So since Jesus says this, this is what Paul's drawing on. I, I wanna go here. He's, he's talking about th this environment of the temple, and he's, he's at a place where people are coming and giving their gifts at the temple. Jesus is there with his boys. He said, come here, come here. Let's watch how people are given and let's take a look here. And, and it wasn't like there was no bucket that got passed. It was these, these big containers, probably metal containers. And as people came into the temple, they would give their gifts. They would, they would put in their gold coins, which would clatter down in the container. They would put in you know, gold plates or gold lamps or jewels or whatever it is they wanted to offer to God. And, and sort of the louder the clatter and the longer the clatter, that people could tell, oh, that was a big gift right there. And so Jesus is there with his, with his disciples. This is what it says in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, clatter, 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 clatter. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So the, these copper coins worth just tiny amounts of money. It was such a small form of currency in Palestine that there was no Greek equivalent and no Roman equivalent. In other words, it was so tiny that these other currencies didn't even bother to, to mint a coin that could be transferred. Okay, so it's tiny, tiny amounts. You're talking about a half a penny, a quarter of a penny kind of a thing. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more, can you say that with me? More, circle that word, we have to get this. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Don't miss this, because this is how God sees it. Right? This is what moves Jesus. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm not impressed with the zeros behind the number. That's not what impresses me. What, it, what moves my heart is percentage. Because the higher the percentage, what it's saying is, she trusts God with everything. What, what, what Jesus is saying is she is rich towards God. How rich is she towards God? 100% rich towards God. And that moves his heart. And you know the disciples were there and they were going, Jesus, you're, you're, this is all crazy talk right here because you're saying those two pennies that she put in. That guy, he put in $1,000. And Jesus is like, no, she put in more. 
Oh, but Jesus, this guy, this guy put in all of his stock options for last year, and the, and, and the company split four times. I mean, that was a lot of money, and Jesus, she put in more. She put in more. She was richer toward God than all the others because they gave out of their surplus, but she, this high percentage, and it shows her complete trust in her heavenly Father. So, friends, I just want to say, and, and again, I know we're not rich because we're in denial, but if we were rich, what I would say to us is this, that, that rich people are commanded to give higher amounts of money and at higher percentages. Because of the, the blessing, the provision of God, we don't want that hope migration where it shifts from our hope in God to our hope in stuff. We want to make sure that we're given in a high percentage so that we can show we trust God. And I just I want to say this real quickly. Just, just listen to this. Before you write me off, before you think pastor's just crazy, here's what I want to say to you. Could you imagine if this one New Testament commandment, and it is a commandment, Paul says, command them. Could you imagine if this one New Testament commandment would be picked up by all the followers of Jesus in America? Do you realize that, that followers of Jesus in America right now give 2.3% of their income to the Lord? 23 could you imagine if all of the followers of Jesus in America really got hold of this and they began to be good at their generosity? They began to give good in, in terms of being rich toward God and they were rich towards generosity and rich towards good deeds, rich in their willingness to share. Could you imagine the transformation, the care that would be unleashed in America for the hurting and the impoverished, for the poor? Could you imagine if just one commandment would really be picked up by the followers of Jesus. It would change everything. And I want to say the world would stand up and take notice. Wow, what is going on? Why? Because generosity is irresistible. It is so winsome and it is so beautiful. And, and that's what Jesus is going after here. Right? That, that's what Jesus is saying. This woman is rich toward God. And so that's what Paul is, is trying to say, right? That, that's what Paul is trying to come out when he said, hey, be rich in good deeds. Be rich in your generosity. Not just regular, not just average, not just mediocre. Be rich. Can I just be honest with you? This has to be taught. It's not natural. It's not our natural inclination to be this kind of generous. If you're a parent, you know what is natural, what is natural, you never have to teach your little kids to be selfish. They already are, right? All you have to do is get two, three kids around and just give one toy. See what happens. Mine, no, mine, mine. You know, and they're, it, it, it's easy to be selfish. It's natural to be selfish. It's unnatural to be generous. That's why we have to teach it, right? No, 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 Johnny. Here, listen, honey. Let's, let's give her a chance or let's give him a chance or, you know, do the Solomon, cut it in half, give him half, you know, but... But what I'm saying is, you, it's got to be taught. So parents, this is one of those things, you've got to model it and you've got to teach it. You've got to live this generosity and you've got to help your children understand this because it's not going to be natural. My buddy Jacob was telling me he went to a Christian high school. And as a senior in this Christian high school, he had an econ class. And what they were trying to teach these kids, these seniors, was budgeting. 
And so the exercise was the teacher walked around, she had a hat, a bunch of different slips of paper in the hat with numbers on it, and, and that was your annual income. So somebody would pull out, uh, thir- I make 30 grand. Somebody would pull out, oh, I make 50 grand. Somebody pulled out, oh, I make a million dollars a year, yay, you know. And then she gave this assignment, well, come up with a monthly budget based on what your annual income is. And so it was a budget sheet. But because it was a Christian school, the first budget line was tithe. And she said, how to, how to figure your tithe is 10% of your monthly income. And these seniors in high school were like, they would do the math, this is ridiculous. You want, I make a million dollars a year. You want me to give a hundred grand to God? That's ridiculous, you know? And I just want to say, if you're not taught, if you're not brought up in this reality of generosity, it does sound like crazy talk. I was talking to the young adults a few weeks ago. It's a privilege to speak to our young adults at Overlake. And I was speaking to them. I said, you know, tithing, it's like learning a language. And the earlier you learn the language, what? The easier it is to speak and the more fluid it is for the whole rest of your life. But the later it is, the later in your life it is that you begin to learn a language, it's hard and it's clunky and it's not natural. Tithing's the same way. Friends, the sooner we start. So parents, I'm just telling you, this is something we've got to cover with our kids. We've we got to teach our kids. We've got to model it. We've got to talk to them about it because it's not natural. Okay. So back to the beginning. Will giving make me rich? Part of the answer to that question is, we're already more rich than we thought. So that's got to be part of it. We're already doing a lot better than we thought. and None of you cheered, but you should have because you're doing just fine. Okay, so that part of that. The second part of the answer, will giving make me rich, is yes, rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, rich in your willingness to share. If you are rich in your giving, then yes, you are going to be rich in generosity, good deeds, and willing to share. So that's a part of the answer. But there's another part of the answer, will giving make me rich? And that's what I want to cover right now. And I will just be honest with you. If you can get your mind around this concept, it will absolutely transform the way you look at finance. It will absolutely transform the way you manage the monies that God has, has given you and provided for you. And, 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 and here's one of those things. It's a little bit mystical. So for some of you, this is going to be a little bit of a stretch. Not most of you. Most of you, even if you're not a part of church movement, most of you are going to be right here because about 97% of Americans uh, understand this, believe this. But, but I just want you to say, if you can get your mind around this, it will absolutely transform the way you view your finance. And the Apostle Paul gives a little nod to this in the very first line of this passage. Let's, let's read it again. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. You see it? This present world. You might want to circle that. Wait, what, what is he saying? Is this, is this not the only world? Is there, is there a future world? Is there another world that we don't see yet? Is, you see, that's it, right? That's the key. And, and this, is, this is what so many of us already understand from our understanding of Scripture. This is what so many of us hopefully believe, if we're just, you know, Americans, that the life that we live now, this is not the only life. That the journey we're on right now and the, this time that we have on planet Earth, our lifespan, it will come to an end, but that will not be the end of you. And that there is a life after this life, and, and that, that, that life actually lasts a long, long time. It's called eternity. This life, it's just short, and it's, it's really quick, and it's over. The journey's done, and then eternity, and that lasts a long, long, long time. And so Paul is saying, command those who are rich 
in this present world. Like right now you're rich, but it's really quick and it's over. And then what's gonna happen? And, and so he has something to say about that, right? If we can view our wealth through the lens of eternity, then it will loose its grip on you and you will loose your grip on it. If you can view your finance through the lens of eternity, it will loose its grip on your heart and you will loose your grip on wealth. Okay, here's what he says. He said, or I'm sorry, it all comes out of Jesus. That's what I wanted to say. Everything comes back to Jesus for Paul. So he's always going back to Jesus. So Jesus tells a story. It's called a parable. It's, it's, he's just making this up. But a parable is an earthly story with an incredible spiritual meaning. And so this is what Jesus says. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he's already rich, certain rich man. He already is rich, and now he's richer, right? He's, there's this abundant blessing. He's already been provided for. Now there's more provision for him. He thought to himself, what shall I do? What's that called? Rich people problem, right? What should I do? All this money, all this money. I don't even know how to do it. Rich people problem. Okay. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if you're one of the listeners to Jesus in this moment, you're listening from a certain perspective. And part of the perspective in that first century time frame was that if you were rich, you were being blessed by God. And so there was this assumption, a certain rich man, already they're thinking he's being blessed by God, and then he has abundant crops now on top. So, so this man who is wealthy is now even more wealthy, vastly more wealthy. Their assumption, this is the favor of God. This man is definitely, you know, God's pleased with him. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then he decides, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and they're thinking, hey, that's savings. That's really good. I wish my teenager were right here to listen to how wise this is to save, right? And, and then he comes to that eat, drink, and be merry. And they're probably writing it down. You know, point one, eat. Point two, drink. Point three, be merry. Like, what a great idea. I'm going to make a plaque. I'm going to put it up in my house. I'm going to pin it on my Pinterest wall. I'm going to, you know, all of this. What a great story of abundance. I am so thankful that Jesus told me this story. And then he continues, but God said to him, you fool. And everybody gasped, like, oh, you fool, right? He, God doesn't think this is wise. He said, oh, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not, underline it, rich toward God. The widow was rich toward God. This is the man who is not rich toward God. See, he makes an assumption. The assumption is, if it's in my provision, it's for me to enjoy. God says, no, 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 you're a manager. And in the journey of life, it's going to end. For him, it ended that night. I don't know when your journey's gonna end. I don't know when mine's gonna end. It might end many, many, many years hence. I hope it does. It might end relatively soon. I, even though I don't know when it's going to end, I know this, it will end. This is a very temporary place. This is a very temporary time. This journey is very temporary. And 
what we need to do is recognize that God has given us stuff, money, resources to manage now for his glory, but, but at some point, it's gonna be over. It's gonna end. This journey is going to end. And, and what Jesus is really clear about saying is it's, it's all about your heart because your treasure is a really good indication of the state of your heart. And if you continue reading that chapter, what Jesus says in Luke 12, 34 is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we know this is true. It's very practically true. If you take your money and you invest in a company, you're suddenly very, very interested in that company. You're interested in how they're buying and selling, what the merger's gonna do, how their profitability is, and, and, and you're gonna find that your heart has gravitated towards that company. Why? Because your treasure's there. For others of you, it's your home. You've put a lot of money in your home. You've restored your home. You've built your home. You've decorated your home. There's all, and you're really concerned about how carefully manicured and, and well-tended your house is. You put a lot of treasure in your home. What's happened to your heart? It's moved to there, right? Your heart's wrapped up. And, and so this is true. What Jesus is saying is eternity is like this. Because if you invest your heart in heaven, if you invest your heart in the kingdom, of God, or your treasure rather, in the kingdom of God, then your heart will be drawn there as well. And that's what God is interested in. Okay, let's go back to Paul. Because again, Paul's mirroring what Jesus is teaching here. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, he says, command them to do good, we cover this, do gooder, to be rich, to be richer in good deeds, to be generous, even more generous and willing to share. And then he says, if we do this in this way, they will, look at this, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So here is the answer, again, the final answer to the question we ask at the beginning. If I give, will I be rich? The answer is yes. You are rich towards God. You are laying up for yourself a firm foundation. You're gonna store up treasure for yourself in the age to come. Yes, if you give now, you will become rich. Will, as in future tense, you will lay up treasure for yourself. Now, I'm gonna use an analogy that some of you are gonna get right away, but some of you are gonna struggle with just a little bit. It's, it's the comparison of different currencies. I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes a company will have, or a country rather, will have its own currency. And in order to do commerce in that country, you're gonna have to trade the money that you have, US dollars or euros or whatever, you're gonna have to, to change that money so that you can buy things in that country. And, and currencies are a little different. There's two types, a soft currency and a hard currency. The soft currency is one that's super volatile. Inflation has killed it, that it, it moves around all the time. You're never really sure of how much things are. It's gonna change always. And then a hard currency is more stable. It's more steady. Oftentimes, hard currencies are tied to a gold standard. And I know, again, some of you, this is just not, not hidden, but I first realized this when I was traveling during my years of college. And we were, staying, we were living in Germany, but we made this trip into a country, Hungary. Now, Hungary had a soft currency. And so we were warned before we left Germany and went to Hungary don't change a lot of Deutschmarks into Hungarian money because the Hungarian money, it's only good in Hungary. And if you have any money left over when you're ready to leave that country, it'll be worthless to you, of no value whatsoever. 
So all we did is we just changed only enough money so that we could survive, you know, li live and eat while we were in Hungary. But then when we left, we didn't want to leave any money behind. We didn't want to have any money in our pockets. We didn't have any because it was worthless. It was just paper. In a very real way, that's how it is for you and I today. You see, all the currencies of this world compared to eternity are soft currency. All of it is. It, all we need is what we need to make it right now in this here and now, and it's a short journey that we're on, but there is a hard currency that we can convert that money to now. And it's anything you give towards God. It's anything you invest in the kingdom of God. That's how we store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, I, I, I just want to say this really carefully. There's not a whole lot of credit for what you thoughtlessly leave behind when you die. You get credit for what you give for the sake of Jesus right now. But there's not a whole lot of credit given for what you thoughtlessly leave behind. And you know why? It's because we all leave the same amount. Everything, right? We, we, we all leave everything. And so it's really important for us to steward now what it is that God has given into our hand. So again, I wanna say over Lake, I, I pray that God blesses us with finance. I pray that, that every single one of us is wealthy and, and that God blesses our income so that it goes up. But I want us to be good at being rich. And so there's a couple of ways how we approach generosity is how we're good at it. So I put on your outline two ways, the unintentional approach to generosity and the intentional approach. The unintentional approach, if you're filling in the blanks, it's spontaneously, sporadically, and sparingly that we give spontaneously, sporadically, and sparingly. Spontaneously in the sense that we're emotional givers. I know that's many of us. That when we hear a good plea, we, we see a commercial and, and it stirs our heart. Somebody at the office is trying to, you know, generate, a, a, you know, monies toward a cause and we just reach, yeah, I'll give towards that. Or you hear a message like this and, and it's, you know, really kind of intense and you're like, oh gosh, the buckets come around. Your spouse is like, hey, you better give. And you're, oh, okay, yeah, I better, you know. And it's just sort of a spontaneous thing. And the idea is that it's emotionally tied, sporadically in the sense that there's no regularity to it. There's not a sense that you give every month or every two weeks or every anything. It's just like whenever the mood strikes. And then sparingly, the idea is, yeah, I'll give $10 to that cause or I'll give 10 here, you know, whatever I have in my pocket. And, and at the end of the year, when you do your taxes, you find out, oh, that really was sparingly. That really was a low percentage of my income. All right, so that's the unintentional approach to giving, and, and obviously I want to challenge us beyond that because I want us to be rich toward God. The intentional approach to generosity lo looks like this. It has priority, percentage, and it's progressive. Priority in the sense that it's the first thing that you tackle at the beginning of every month or every payday or whenever it is that you organize and, and jump into your financial stewardship. It's a priority for you. The next word is the word percentage. In other words, you and your spouse have sat down, or if you're single, just you and yourself, uh, not schizophrenic, but just you've decided <laughs> that, that this is the percentage I'm going to set. This is what I'm going to designate to God, God's kingdom. This is what I want to send ahead, and, and it's set for you. It's a percentage. Part of the reason why the giving in America is such a low percentage is because it's not set. It's not like all of the American followers of Jesus have set a percentage. I'm going to give 2.3%. No, they haven't set any percent, and that's why it's so low. 
So the idea is, no, no, we, we take a little bit of control. We set the percent, what God's stirring your heart to give. That's what you set as a goal for the entire year. That's what I'm gonna give, the percentage. And the last word, progressive, means this, that as God blesses my income, I will progressively give higher percentages to the Lord. That's what progressive means, okay? And so that's what I would challenge you toward. Last week, you know that we, we took a little bit of time in the message to introduce to you a new way of giving. That way of giving is called text to give. It's how we can give on our phones. And um, if you'll just let me review a little bit, the way in which it works is you, you text 45777, that's the number, and then in the, in the um, message part, you put a dollar amount and then OCC. Hit send, and then you'll get an immediate kickback. That allows you to go ahead and register the card or the account that you want that money to come from. And then if you do it once, you never have to do that again, by the way. That's, that's what makes this easy. So you set that account, and then you just save that contact in your, uh, in your contact list, you know, in, in my phone, it's something like OCC, text to give or whatever, but whatever, designate that, that for you. And then that becomes a real convenient way for you to give. By the way, you can also set that up on recurring or whatever kind of a way you want that to work. And, and I have had to answer a couple of questions this week. Why would you take any time to, to really talk about that in a church service? And here's why. It's really, really simple. That over the last 2,000 years, giving has changed, the way people give has changed because the culture has changed. So if you want to think about, so over the last 2,000 years, many different countries, people following Jesus, they want to bring their gifts, their tithes, and their offerings to the Lord. Often it would become, after a harvest, they would literally bring their crops in. Or they would bring livestock in, or chickens. I understand in Duval, they're still given with chickens. I, I don't, you know... <laughs> So, so the, the, you know, it just because cultures change. In the last 150 years in America, the primary ways people give are with a checkbook or with cash. Because everyone had cash, everyone carried a checkbook. But it's been years since that's been the reality. Most of us live in a cash-free society. Hardly any of us have our checkbooks. But every one of us has a phone. Interesting. And so it's just one of those ways where we're shifting the way in which we interact with generosity based on the way culture has changed. Okay. So... The challenge that I want to bring to you is this. You never miss the money that you give to the Lord. You never miss the money that you give. You miss the money that you spend. You miss the money that you spend poorly, waste. You miss the money that you invest poorly. You miss the money that you give to your brother-in-law. All kinds of ways you miss money, you never miss the money you give to Jesus. And the reason why is really, really simple. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. This is where we're close. Think about Jesus. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Jesus leaves the riches of heaven to come to earth, to be born in a stable, to walk in the dust, to ride on a donkey's back, to be nailed to a wooden cross. Jesus gave everything. Jesus gave his blood to cover our sin and rebellion, our guilt and our shame. He gave his body to purchase forgiveness and grace and eternity for us. Jesus gave everything. So friends, do not nickel and dime your generosity to him when he has so generously poured out everything for you and for me.
This brings me to my last point. You might want to write this down too. I want to challenge you to grow in generosity toward God who is generous to you. Grow in generosity toward the God who is ever generous to you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for the way that you're generous to us. Thank you for the kindness that you have shown us. And not just the one-time kindness, Jesus. You are kind to us again and again and again. Your generosity over our lives, your provision, your care, your love and your grace again and again and again. And we are a people who are thankful. We are a people who want to grow in our generosity toward you. Lord, we look at that widow who gives her two pennies and we are in awe. We want to grow that direction. We want to grow in how rich we are to you because we want to trust in you. Why would we put our trust in riches when we can trust in in you, Lord, who so richly provide? What I ask, Lord Jesus, is that you would give us courage. This is the kind of message that does stir our hearts. I know there are a lot of good intentions right now in our hearts, and and yet there's a, a lack sometimes of courage. Would you give us, Holy Spirit, the courage to follow through on this? We just want to be found faithful with what you have given us to manage. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.